0: Welcome to How Story Works Conversations from Chipperish Media. I'm
1: concept developer Dr. Kelly Jones. And I'm story expert Lonnie Diane rich And we are breaking up How Story Works into four seasons following four topics. Character, conflict, structure, and magic. This is season one, Character. And
0: today on How Story Works, the conversation is about writing distinctive characters. How to make any character seem undeniably human. Story is
1: power. We don't leave power on the table. So let's get to work.
0: All right, baby. Last week, we talked about character roles, the protagonist, mm-hmm. the antagonist, and supporting characters. So in my love of space, repetition, summary, and reflection, I have notes. <laughs> Awesome. (laughs) So um, I remembered there are three qualities for a protagonist. So this Mm -hmm. is your litmus test, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. They are the point of view character. So we're Mm -hmm. seeing the story through their eyes. Mm -hmm. They have an active goal that drives the story and they have the most at stake in the story. Mm -hmm. But antagonists, who are super fun to write, have only one job. (laughs) One job. They have to block the protagonist.
1: Yes, absolutely. Okay.
0: But this dynamic is not the same as heroes and villains because your antagonist can be a hero and your protagonist can be a villain. Absolutely. All right, very cool. And supporting <laughs> characters are all the the living entities, uh people that make up the community of the protagonist mm-hmm. and can also mm-hmm. do the same for the antagonist. Sure. If they have like a gang or like They might. Minions. Sometimes they do. I love minions. <laughs> minions,
1: blind um, monkeys, yeah. right?
0: Mm-hmm. But but those supporting characters really make that world rich and real. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't exist solely to shine light on the protagonist. They do have their mm-hmm. own lives. They are the heroes of their own story. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this. It was really interesting. So I had to, okay, I promise I will make this connect. It sounds like a random side story, but it's not. Oh, I'm excited. Yes, go. (laughs) So I had to have a headshot taken for work. Yes. Now there are are three ways to torture me. Well, four. (laughs) One, make me watch terrible television in a waiting room that I cannot turn off. I'm looking at you, Judge Judy. (laughs) Two, make me go to the dentist. Three, make Uh me go to the OBGYN. And four, make (laughs) me have my picture taken. Right. Oh, mm-hmm. so I had to have a headshot taken. And luckily, the photographer was wonderful and super she was. patient. Oh,
1: the headshots and- were beautiful. Oh,
0: thank you. And she was very kind to me.
1: But when oh I was explaining God.
0: to her how unphotogenic I am, which is a thing. Like, it is a which real is thing. Which is not true. It is true. You
1: are beautiful. Thank I you. see pictures of you all the time. <laughs> but beauty. I do not accept this narrative, Jones. Well,
0: but, but beauty and photogenic are not the same thing. So, like, there is, there yes. is a science behind how a camera flattens your face and bone structure mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And she said something really interesting to me. Because mm-hmm. she said, you as a person, like you as yourself, can never actually see your true face because you can see a picture of yourself and you can see yourself in the mirror but Mm -hmm. you can't actually see your true face and I thought you know what that's what supporting characters do because a protagonist can't see their own face right so we need to see more of them through
1: the supporting characters yeah yeah absolutely wow. wow that's very cool i like Wasn't that. that cool? i thought that was really yeah. cool mm-hmm.
0: so one of the other big things that i remember from last week is likability doesn't matter mm-hmm. characters need to be relatable because yes. we're we're looking for that human right we're looking for ourselves mm-hmm. in characters mm-hmm. and so we build that with the character triangle to strengths mm-hmm. weaknesses and vulnerabilities yes. so hell with likability yay for vulnerability Yes, absolutely. And so I was thinking about the sources of vulnerability and you know me and acronyms. So Oh yeah. We have the fills, FILS, F I L S, right? Mm-hmm. Fear, identity, love and shame as the sources yep. of vulnerability. So I remember that by what fills your thoughts, look there Ooh. for vulnerability.
1: I'm going to steal that because yes. I've, I've been using fills in my classes because I do acronyms all the time. It's mm-hmm. the only way to get them to remember like the various things that you have to think about when you're going through. It's almost like a checklist. Yeah. you know. Yep. Um, so the idea of what fills your thoughts because we are so focused, each of us, on our areas of vulnerability because those are the areas where we can get hurt. You know, I mean, like as humans, I mean, you know, characters are, you know, reflections of the human experience, absolutely. But I mean, like as real people, we do that. So the idea that this is what fills your thoughts, I really love that. So we
0: talked a lot about vulnerability last week, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to talk a bit more about strengths and weaknesses because I -hmm. I think this sounds simple and it's really not. Mm -hmm. Um, I do a lot of career coaching. Yes. So I help people, you know, build resumes or figure out what they want to study or how to advance from one level of a career or even get into an entirely different field. Mm -hmm. And I realized I always start with strengths. Ooh. But I hadn't framed it in this idea of fiction. Right. So I was like, and I'm working on a story now. So I was like, okay, to figure out my character's strengths and weaknesses, I could do like a career consult for. I love it. The character, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sure so and i mean even if it was like a completely different world like if they're on mm-hmm. you know a medieval story you still need like a sorceress yeah. and a, you know yeah whatever so people got jobs man right yeah. Every, there's mm-hmm. always going to be some kind mm-hmm. of job yeah. function to fill um even if it's not a typical quote-unquote career but mm-hmm. um so my favorite source for this is psychologist teacher and researcher named don clifton mm-hmm. Who is the founder of Strengths Based Psychology? Oh. And he fought in World War II and mm-hmm. saved many lives and, and received many accommodations. And when he came back, I think he was so changed and harrowed by that experience yeah. that he, he brought this research question to the field and said, What would happen if we study what's right with people versus what's wrong with people? <laughs> oh my god right (laughs) because psychology back then didn't really do that
1: (laughs) uh you know what it doesn't do that now we are constantly looking for what's wrong in people rather than what's right in people so i love how subversive this basic idea of (laughs) work on your strengths you know go with your strengths yeah i love it so he created what is
0: now called the clifton strengths assessment Uh Uh, This is published by Gallup. It is a very validated instrument. There have been over 22 million people that have taken this.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: There's a book that goes with it. It's called Strength Finders 2.0 by Tom Rath. Mm -hmm. And what it does, so you answer a whole bunch of questions. Yeah. And then there's 34 themes of strength. And the assessment shows you your top five. Ooh. But then the website and the book explain in depth all 34. And so if you want to figure out what are your character's strengths, like this would be a fantastic source of inspiration, yeah. you know, in a, mm-hmm. in a template.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: the, the strength and it's primarily like this is designed to be applied at work. But I believe this applies to your whole entire life. Mm-hmm. And the, the strengths are organized into four main categories. So there's mm-hmm. strategic thinking, relationship building, influencing, and executing. And each of mm-hmm. them have different, you know, strengths listed. Mm-hmm. So if, if you get, like, no points for a particular strength, then that, darling, is a weakness for you. Oh, that opens up a weakness. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, for me, my top strengths are all in the strategic thinking and relationship building buckets. Mm -hmm. so I'm strong on ideation I'm a futuristic thinker I'm a learner I have tons of empathy and I'm I'm unfortunately like one of my strengths is positivity which can be incredibly annoying for other people
1: (laughs) but no I love it (laughs) (laughs) which is why I'm with chipperish because that's right chipperish is the place you were meant to be that's right
0: (laughs) (laughs) But not that long ago, I was Mm -hmm. stuck in a job where I was absolutely miserable. And I'd never Mm -hmm. been miserable at work before. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I realized finally that the strengths that were valued in that job were all in the executing bucket.
1: So not
0: only were my strengths like not valued at all, they were seen Mm -hmm. as weaknesses, which made me see myself
1: as weak and wow, what a wonderful realization to have yeah yeah
0: Yeah. so you know our strengths and weaknesses are inherent to who we are but Mm -hmm. their application varies by context so I was like a strength can be a weakness a weakness can be a strength and it can flip Mm -hmm. depending on you know context so Mm it's like that could be a really fun way to play with character right yeah give them a strength and then put them in a situation where that strength has no value Give them a weakness Ooh. and put them in a
1: situation where that weakness saves the day
0: oh or whatever. Oh, my
1: goodness. How interesting. I love this. I'm going to go out and buy that book, like, immediately when we're done. I, it's one of my favorite tools. And it's and it highlights, and this is a
0: topic for another podcast, but I will just say, yeah. the way that we do school in this country is so broken. That, yeah. you know, you get a report card and you have all your standard subjects. And if you have mm-hmm. four A's and you have two C's, then you're not a good student. Right. Whereas four of those subjects may be great strengths for you and two may be mm-hmm. weaknesses for you. Work toward your strength. Yeah. We, we waste too much time trying to shore up weaknesses instead of, oh yeah, you know, learning to adapt and build on our strengths.
1: Yeah. Grades are terrible grades yeah. are the worst yeah i have a real are. issue with grades and i tell my students whenever i teach i'm like your grade doesn't matter don't care about your grade yeah. care about learning this stuff and it's really it's tough because they're in a circumstance where if they want to go to grad school their grades you know kind of do matter a little bit and so that's really really hard but um but it's one of those things that like if you're focused on the grade you actually learn less focused on the grade than you do if you're just engaging with the material absolutely
0: So, But, you know, to sum all of that up, you know, our strengths engage us. So if you feel Mm -hmm. engaged, confident, happy, motivated, then you are engaging your strengths. And if you feel depleted, then you're engaging your weaknesses. And that is true for your characters, too. So I thought that might be a fun, you know, kind of exercise for character building.
1: That is so interesting. As I look at it, I'm like, I know I'm going to fail in strategic thinking. Like, that is not... (laughs) That is absolutely not where my strength is going to be. I find that so interesting. And actually, that brings up a really good point, too, is that while you're building your characters, and this is something that now that you bring this up, I'm like, oh, I wish we'd talk about this during building characters. But hopefully uh, people are still interested in that. Giving your characters, you know, taking personality tests with yeah. your characters, getting to know them, filling out forms. You yep. know, fill out a, fill out a tax form. For your character, or, <laughs> like whatever, like any kind of regular, like the the more that you engage with this character and like everyday kinds of things, the more you can like feel and get a sense of who they are and how how their life works you know Mm -hmm. Um, so any form will do but like definitely um, you know uh, psychological tests, the Myers-Briggs like all of that kind of stuff and this absolutely I think that those are really great ways to kind of really get a sense of who your character is when you're trying to to get to know them yeah and and Myers-Briggs
0: is is the time-tested classic yeah what's really cool about myers-briggs is there's so many resources online that use characters as examples of each Mm -hmm. personality type Mm -hmm. so that will really help sort of solidify that idea so yes absolutely Mm -hmm. give them the myers-briggs and look
1: at their strengths and i think you can have a lot of fun with that astrology is real good too yeah astrology is really good too because even if you don't believe in astrology and a lot of people don't and i get it i'm on the fence I'm on the fence with it. Um, Although I did find it interesting that everything fell apart this week when Mercury was in retrograde. I'm just saying. Oh, my God. You are not kidding. I have noticed it as a pattern. But if you look at your characters and you're like, okay, this person is a Pisces Leo rising or whatever, like go deep into – their um into their astrology and you never have to mention you don't have to mention in your book that they are you know INTJ from the Myers-Briggs or that they're you know a Gemini or whatever like but when you're working with your character the fact that you know that mm-hmm. and you're like oh man we got a Scorpio and a Leo in one room boom you know, Actually, you I don't know I don't know if Scorpios and Leos would clash I know nothing about astrology All I'm right. just saying like there are patterns and there are particular kinds of uh astrological signs that supposedly work really well together and others that don't um but I think that could be a, an interesting way in you know to your character and if you are somebody who's really into astrology that's a, that's again a great way in for you oh, if yeah. there's something that you know about uh, that's a way in. that's an access point
0: absolutely no that's a mm-hmm. super fun idea protagonist antagonist aquarius virgo let the fight Ooh.
1: begin Ooh. Yes. i don't <laughs> even know what that means but it sounds good and i think somebody who somebody who knows what that means though could have a lot of fun with that and that opens up those characters for you so they don't just become flat mm-hmm. you know they don't just become like you know this is my protagonist this is my antagonist who's a villain and this is the best friend you know, yeah. that they become, they they fill out for you as you're building them. And that's going to be a gradual process. Like, in the beginning, when you're starting a story, you're not going to know your characters that well, mm-hmm. you know. And the thing is, is that you'll find as you write all the way through, that they become much more vibrant as you go. And then when you go back in revision, you can kind of, like splash some of that vibrancy back on the beginning. But in the beginning, yeah. it's going to be tough. In the beginning, it's going to be, you know, it's it's like anything where you're getting to know people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the beginning is very surface. And then as you get to know them, that that connection goes deeper. So yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, I and love that's, that. That's the perfect segue to today's
0: conversation because yes. we are going to build on that character triangle
1: mm-hmm.
0: by making these characters distinctive. So we're going to talk about yes. that alchemy of personality experience and perspective that makes every mm-hmm. sentient being unique. So Lonnie Danrich, let's define tropes, archetypes, and stereotypes.
1: Yes, Uh, basically, archetypes and stereotypes are a type of trope. So we're going to start with tropes. Trope is dictionary defined as a common or overused theme or device, right? And so often because we have that sense of they're used all the time, they're common, overused, right? We have this sense of tropes being a bad thing. And that's really not the case. A bad trope is bad, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like, and we're going to talk a lot about what makes a bad trope bad. But when you go to these, and again, like the, uh, you know, taking the psychological Tests like these are all ways that you can see a little more spectrum to your character rather than just their role in the story you know this is kind of can open up the character to you um because if you go at and we'll talk about this in a little bit but if you go at something by like let's just sprinkle some quirks on this character you know to give them personality if it's not connected to who they really are it's going to read flat you know, and it's yeah. going to be kind of, you know, whatever. So one of the first places that I like to start is with the tropes. You know, mm-hmm. what are the tropes that engage me and that I find interesting? So when we talk about tropes, let's try to kind of take out that idea that tropes are bad because they're, they're not. Um, be, a lot of times things that are commonly found and that we revisit Uh, We do because they speak to us as humans on a very deep and almost like sub almost Jungian vast unconscious level Mm -hmm. that there are there are harmonies there that we're trying to gain access to through the stories that we tell. So the fact that we go back to some of the same things over and over and over again, these fairy tales. That we retell and retell and retell over and over and over again doesn't make them bad. Right. It means there's something there that we want to gain access to.
0: So a trope can provide split second recognition. But yes. then by building that and making things distinctive, you're not falling into the territory of flat cliche. Yes. So, mm-hmm. Like once upon a time is a trope, right? It's like a mm-hmm. device trope. And the Disney princess is a character trope. But you can take mm-hmm. that and do a lot
1: with it you can make something good you can make a silk purse out of any sow's ear you really can but you have to like go in there understand that that's what you're trying to do rather than just kind of and and one of the things that we do and i think that the reason why tropes get such a bad rap is because we grab one because we're familiar with it and people throw it in their story and they don't do anything interesting with it they don't elevate it they don't play with it they don't think about it Right. right you know it's just like we're just going to throw this in there and we'll throw that in there and then we've got you know like a i don't know some kind of character salad or whatever and it just ends up being kind of a mess you know yeah but i think taking away that idea that tropes are bad and rather using them as a source of inspiration and a starting place where you can bring things in that you find fascinating you know and that you find interesting that you respond to as the writer then that's going to open up some really interesting places for you to go with those characters while you're moving them through, you know, the storyline that you've got set up for them. Okay. So then in this this
0: concept of trope, we kind of have mm-hmm. two variations. So you've got
1: archetypes yes. and you've got stereotypes yes and the archetype like the dictionary definition of the archetype is the original pattern or model of which all things of the same type are representations or copies you know this i think comes from the printing press you Mm -hmm. know and so for my purposes though archetypes are character models built to fulfill a narrative purpose so these are um characters that we're going to um to like go back to you know the mentor the -hmm. hero the villain these Mm -hmm. are archetypes right we use them all the time but we use them in different, interesting, varying ways. Um, So you can consider archetypes a really valuable source of inspiration. And they exist, you know, mostly because of the narrative purpose that they fulfill within a story. And that's what makes them so much fun to work with. And they're so rich. You know, things get repeated usually for a reason. Mm -hmm. And acknowledging that reason is not a bad thing. It's really interesting stuff. And we are going to go into this. We're just defining this stuff now. We are going to go into this much, much more as we move through this episode. So
0: So I'm thinking of archetypes as more universal and timeless character Mm -hmm. models.
1: Yes. Is that right? Yes.
0: Okay. Okay. So then – How is that different than a stereotype?
1: Okay, so let's start with the dictionary definition of a stereotype, right? Which is something conforming to a fixed or general pattern. Um, And that may sound like very similar to an archetype, but an archetype is the original. An Mm -hmm. archetype is what this comes from. An archetype is the thing from which all else springs. A stereotype is a copy. Mm -hmm. A stereotype is looking at something and just conforming to that pattern, right? Um, So, and stereotypes are, you know, characters, like characters with stereotypical characteristics are um, conforming to a particular pattern. A lot of times we'll see... Uh, race and gender, you know, as, as defining certain characteristics in a character that absolutely have nothing to do necessarily with who that character is. And, you know, let's face it, like race and gender are societal constructs anyway. It's, right. it's bullshit, right? So it's, it's the things, like, it's the bullshit that gets, stereotypes I think of as like the bullshit crud that gets on your characters that you kind of have to clean off, you know? So if you apply certain characteristics to a character because, you know, they are a woman, like, she loves to shop, right? You know, oh, for fuck's sake, right? (laughs) Um, Or a particular race, like he's Asian, he's good at math, right? You know, then you are applying stereotypes. So these stereotypes are taught um, and they can be automatic. Like sometimes you may not even realize you're engaging stereotypes. They are insidious. They are weeds. They are a termite infestation. And the way that you battle them is by going, getting to know your characters as people, like as Mm -hmm. humans first, rather than as a woman first, You know, or as like an older person first, we have stereotypes for that. We have stereotypes for youth. Mm -hmm. We have stereotypes. Stereotypes are what we apply to people to diminish their humanity. And the last thing in the world that you want to do in your story is diminish the humanity of any of your characters. I don't care who they are. And the really insidious thing about stereotypes is that they are not accidental. They show up so often because our stories have been used as weapons against us by a culture that is steeped in various supremacies, white, male, cishet, able, Christian. There's just supremacy all over. You know, Mm -hmm. I think white is probably the most... Uh, of all those supremacy beasts, probably the the big guy, the evil, the most evil of them all. Uh, but they all cause a lot of damage. Um, and the purpose of those stereotypes is to diminish the humanity of real people. So when we do it with our characters, we are reinforcing that diminishing of humanity for real people. So stereotypes are something that you, uh, you may see popping up in mm-hmm. your work. And if it does... The first thing that you've got to do is acknowledge and forgive yourself, right? Acknowledge and forgive yourself and then weed it out. Sometimes we don't want to recognize that we are engaging in a lot of these supremacies, that we're actually supporting a lot of these supremacies, but we're raised in them. Mm -hmm. We're trained from little children to do exactly that. So when you start to see it, then you can start weeding it out. But if you're steeped in shame about it, then you're not going to do anything about it. You're gonna, that's a, that's a me thing. That's a, I'm shamed. And so I don't have the strength because of all this shame to like actually do the work, you know? So um, get rid of the shame, pull up your sleeves and get down to work. Like that's just, these are the things that we need to think about, that we need to be conscious of when they're in our stories because they are deliberately seeded into our culture to that purpose, to dehumanize various, parts of our of our population and uh, and you can do a huge amount by not allowing that into the storytelling that you engage in
0: no I love that absolutely that Mm -hmm. stereotypes diminish humanity and that is the last Mm -hmm. thing you want to do with your character so absolutely that is Mm -hmm. that's beautiful so we have a like the learning building blocks here when we move from the understanding of terms to like the understanding of concepts right mm-hmm. so defining a thing and then looking at that thing in context to really yes develop more of a conceptual understanding is is going a bit deeper yes.
1: um,
0: so let's do that let's let's mm-hmm. look at tropes as a concept
1: okay well tropes as a concept right these are the patterns that we see um, showing up in our storytelling over and over and over again right Um, And there's a reason some of them are bad. Some of them are stereotypes. Some of them are great. Some of them are archetypes. Some of them are great writing devices. Writing Mm -hmm. devices are also tropes, you know, Um, and various writing devices like they're not necessarily bad in and of themselves. Now, if you have been with me for any period of time. Y'all know how much I hate a fractured tease, right? I talk about that all the time. That's this, <laughs> well, it's borrow from an exciting moment later in the story. We put it right up front and then we go, oh, 36 hours earlier and bore the fuck out of me while I figure out how we're going to get back to that exciting place, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, does not mean that all fractured teases are used poorly. If you've been with me for a while, you know that I've talked about how Breaking Bad uses fractured teases, not borrowing from the exciting climactic moment, but rather searching for theme right mm-hmm. giving us a hint of the theme that's about to come and so i really find that uh, a fascinating beautiful way to use a fracture tease that's a trope it's a writing device uh, three beats are also a writing device they are a trope that's when you have uh, something that appears three times within the story first time is to set up second time is to reinforce and the third time subverts it right mm-hmm. so three beats are really really fun and three beats can be used within a single scene You know, you can have somebody go back to the same phrase a number of times and play with that. Uh, Three beats are really, really fun to play with. Again, a trope, a writing device, not a bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. So archetypes, again, are part of tropes when we use villains and heroes. Trope. You know, um, and those are archetypes that we have for um, for our characters. So there's a lot of stuff. But that like basically when we're talking about a trope, we're just talking about something that gets repeated and going into tropes and looking at tropes. I mean, you know, like everybody gets all upset, like, oh, my God, that's so cliche. Take a cliche and turn it on its ear. Have fun with it. You -hmm. know, like there's no reason why you can't take a bad trope and make it make it good. You can play like just because they tend to be bad doesn't mean that you can't play with them and find a way to make them interesting in your writing yeah yeah absolutely
0: and it, and I think especially intentionally shifting your thinking from stereotype to archetype mm-hmm. can really enrich what you're doing so like are you applying societal constructs to a surface level you mm-hmm. know then you're writing a stereotype but if you're looking for something that is more, you know, universally applied in a story, you can take an archetype and then still make that character unique. Oh, absolutely. You know, the villain and the hero and the mentor and the trickster, and, like, you can have so much Mm -hmm. fun with that. So even if you just take this idea of trope and be, you know, what devices do you want to use and why? Mm -hmm. And then how, you know, are you writing stereotype or archetype? Like, that's a great place to start
1: it's fantastic it's a really good place to start and tropes are like it's like going to the candy store for a writer right you know you get these moments like if you're ever stuck in your writing go to the trope store pull something out you know that you want to play with pick up a toy you know mm-hmm. um there's so many different things that you can work with there's so many i mean if you do a search on tropes on the internet if you go to tv tropes i think it's TVtropes.org. It might be TVTropes.com, but I think it's TVTropes.org. That's a great place to go. they got tons of stuff there, really interesting things that you can work with. Um, and it's it's a way to bring something in to your characters. Um, I mean, specifically right now we're talking about characters. I've spent a little time talking about writing devices, and we'll definitely talk about that as we move forward. Uh, when we get into you know, Season 4, Magic, we're going to talk a lot about writing devices and all the other things that you can do in your writing that kind of like spruce up your magic. But you can go into, you know, um, into, like, a list of of archetypes and think about who you want to write. Like, you know, the maid, the mother, and the crone, the three generations of women, Mm -hmm. that's Gilmore Girls, right? Mm -hmm. So you take the maid, the mother, the crone, right? And you put – which, okay, I – Take offense. The closer I get to Chrome, I take offense at Chrome. But anyway, that's the that's the classic naming of the. And you can play around with that too. Um, but you bring that into you know like uh, early aughts Connecticut, and you've got Gilmore Girls. You know, mm-hmm. um, you can bring these characters into anything. You can have a mentor character anywhere. You had one in Karate Kid. You know, you got it in Lord of the Rings in mm-hmm. Gandalf you know um they pop up all over the place the trickster oh the trickster oh the trickster so oh, much fun i mean loki trickster. Loki. Loki is a classic, classic trickster. Bugs Bunny. Uh, Spike. No, Bugs Bunny <laughs> is a classic trickster. Um, Spike from um, from Buffy yep. is a bit of a trickster character. Um, and, and actually, he's a trickster for a while, and then he kind of like he melds into something else. That's another thing. Just because your character starts out as one mm-hmm. of these tropes doesn't mean they can't move into something else. You can arc them. You know from trickster to mentor you can arc them from hero to villain or vice versa
0: if you arc a trickster into a mentor please dear god send me that story
1: right wouldn't that be fun yes like this is the thing like none of this stuff has to be like once you go in a direction there's different things that you can do not to mention the fact that you can arc these characters through if you're doing a series if you're like Mm -hmm. game of thrones you can see like the uh the arc if you look at uh, Tyrion from trickster to hero right mm-hmm. by the end of season two he was a hero you know um, that's a beautiful arc that's so much fun to play with although his essential trickster spirit never gets left behind right he becomes something of a melded archetype there right. There's so much fun that you can have with these things, and it opens up such a creative space to go into, and it gives you a different lens through which to see your character. When you think of your characters, like this is just the mom, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this is my 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 hero's mom. You know, she's just the mom. She bakes whatever. Like, but if you mix up like a mom, you know, with another type of um of hero, you know, character, um, or or you know. Any, like, there's so many. There's so many archetypes out there. But you can take also archetypes that you traditionally um, associate with men or women and, like, gender flip them. Mm-hmm. You can do made mother and crone with three generations of men. Like, mm-hmm. you can do that, you know. Um, so many fun things that you can do. Yeah.
0: No, I love this idea. I had never really thought about combining archetypes before, mm-hmm. and I love this. But once I read, um, I love Marissa Myers YA series. Oh, And she was talking about how she came up with the idea for Cinder, which is basically Mm -hmm. Cinderella as a cyborg. And it's so good. But she she was saying she like basically listed a whole bunch of genres and pulled Mm -hmm. two out of a hat and combined fairy tales and sci fi. I love it. That was how she came up with that with that series. Yeah. And I'm I'm like, oh, you could absolutely do that. Like, give me a trickster mentor. Oh, hell Yeah like how much chaos
1: could you create if i mean seriously right? like yeah there's so much fun stuff that you can do and and it really is only limited by the limitations in your head there's a ton of things that you can do with that there's a ton of fun that you can have with that you know and that's the thing like an archetype is going to be fun it's going to give you some very cool things that you can do it's going to talk about what the character does you know what is the role that they felt like if you think about the five-man band right we've talked about that a little bit we talked about that here right I yeah. do so many podcasts and yeah, I want to make sure I've talked a about bit. it. Yep, we have. All right, all right, all right. So we've got the five-man band, right? We've got them in roles. We've got the hero, you know, which is our, our protagonist guy, like our big good guy. You know, mm-hmm. we've got the lancer, who's the best friend, the one who reflects the hero. Um, and then we've got the big guy, the smart guy, and the heart, right? So these are all just roles that these characters play. And those roles can shift over time. If you're telling a long-term story... You can have somebody who's the big guy one day and the heart the next, Mm -hmm. you know, and they can switch back and forth between these roles. You can add another role in, you know, depending on the needs of what your story is. Like there's a lot of fun stuff that you can do starting with archetypes. And stereotypes like, again, stereotypes are the dehumanizing kind of dark side of Mm -hmm. these reused tropes right and again like you need to take a look at those uh you need to weed those out um you will find when you're working with archetypes you're going to go deeper you're going to get more depth you're going to get more human and when you work with stereotypes you're going to go more shallow Mm -hmm. and you're going to get less human as you go those those very shallow surface level kind of personality traits that you assign because we know you know all chicks like to shop Right. You know? <laughs> and women are hysterical and they are emotional. And, you know, when they calm down, then maybe we'll talk to them. You know, I mean, that kind of thing. Writing is, I think, an art that loves humanity. So <laughs> when you when you go into your writing, do it with that love for all of your characters. You have to love all of them. I love that. So one of the things when we talk about stereotypes um, is that people get kind of in this in this mindset, right? That like we need more diverse characters, right? We need more characters from different backgrounds and from different places. Um, At the same time, if you are writing somebody who doesn't share your particular experience and... Let me just say this. As somebody who who ticks almost all of the privilege boxes aside from male, Mm -hmm. I will say that it's very easy. The world has set you up to be blind to certain things, Mm -hmm. right? To experiences um, that don't map to your privilege. Because when you walk through the world, it's a different world for you. It looks different than it does for people who are from the various groups that our culture marginalizes. So... If you cannot see, if you have not seen that full experience, then writing a character from that perspective, and I'm talking about your POV characters, right, um, is going to be pretty much impossible to do it right and to do it well and to do it with respect and understanding. And writing supporting characters from those groups, you need to have that as well. Um, it's just that it's the, the spotlight is going to be so much more like I've seen men who write women as supporting characters and I'm like, okay. And then when I read them writing from the like first person POV of a woman, this has happened to me a couple of times. I've read a couple of, of books read by men, written first person POV for women. And it read so flat to me. Like, they okay. just didn't get it. It was just a different experience. So, um, so it becomes much, much more. There's a bigger spotlight on it. The answer to that, for some writers, they say, well, I'm just going to write what I know. I'm going to write all white people because I understand the white experience, you know. Um, I don't think that gets us anywhere as, as human people, you know, or, or moves our storytelling into a better space. However, you're going to have to do the work. There's so much work to do. There's Mm -hmm. so much work. I've been doing this for years trying to like see things that I haven't seen before. And I still miss I still miss stuff, you know, and I've been trying to, to have that sensitivity and to be able to. And it's just it's really hard. It is the rest of your life. It is like personal health. It is an everyday thing. You get up and you do your workout every day. You get up and you eat your veggies every day because that is a constant thing. It is a constant thing that you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. So the first step is don't think that, you know, you you read a couple of books and you're done. You know, you follow a couple of people on social media and you're like, I'm totally totally woke now, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're not. You know, um, it's it's impossible to be completely woke, you, but it's a constant work that you need to do just to be a decent human being. Like, that's the first step. But to be a good writer, where you're writing these these characters who do not reflect your own personal experience, I think the best thing that you can do, writers all start out as mimics. Mm-hmm. We all mimic what we've been given. We all mimic the stories that we read. Um, and we we start out doing that, right? So uh, the biggest thing is read. Read diverse writers. Go out and buy books from as many people and be they nonfiction, be they essays, be they, um, you know, fiction, uh, you know, written by people in that experience, That is the best way. And, you know, you're a writer, you should be reading a lot anyway, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Read as much as you can from diverse experiences, and you will find your mind opening to, like, even the subtleties, even the things like, you know, I read those books by men writing first person, you know, female protagonists. And I couldn't put my finger on exactly what it was that was wrong. I just knew it was wrong, you Mm -hmm. know? Because it just it was so not my experience, and I'm sure that if I went back into those books and like deeply dug in, I could probably figure out a lot of it. But I didn't have any patience for it because it just didn't, you know, it wasn't a good it wasn't a good experience uh, to read those books. So, and that's the only experience I can speak to, like personally, you know, of of being on that side of it. So. Like, reading as much diverse writing as possible in all contexts is um, the absolute best way um, for you to be able to write these characters with an understanding of their experience. Um, And again, like, no particular marginalized group is a monolith. Like, you can't write a character that's going to perfectly represent everybody. But the more the problem right now is that we have so few. Um, characters that are diverse within stories, um, that it becomes the job of any one character to represent everybody in that marginalized community. And the only way to fight that is to write, write more and more human people, yeah. <laughs> um, understand their humanity.
0: Yeah. And to really think about, I do a lot of work about diversity and inclusion. And I think mm-hmm. One of the first steps there is defining your terms and understanding the difference between diversity and inclusion.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And yes. understanding, mm-hmm. like,
0: the the many, many multifaceted aspects of diversity. Because I think we, we default right. to, you know, maybe gender, race, sexual orientation, whatever. There's so many. And there's mm-hmm. so much more than that. So read people whose socioeconomic status is different yes. than yours. You know, Mm -hmm. um, read people whose country of origin is different than yours. Read Mm people whose religious background is different than yours. So, like, think about, like, these very different perspectives. Because the wider your perspective comes, the wider Mm -hmm. your perspective will be for your characters. And the richer your world will be. But there's a big difference between diversity and inclusion. So, the the best metaphor I have found for this um, was taught to me... Mm By a brilliant woman named Nikki Roach who said, diversity is inviting someone to the party. Inclusion is taking their hand and going on the dance floor. Yeah. And, and there's mm-hmm. a huge difference between those two things. So mm-hmm. populating a story with people who are different than you is very different than intentionally creating space, recognition, and understanding for those people.
1: Yes. And I think Mm -hmm.
0: the only way to do that, right, going back to what you said in our first episode, quoting Georgia R. R. Martin, someone who does not read lives one life. Someone who does read can experience thousands. And so really the only way to
1: experience a perspective different than yours is through story. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. So Yeah, to live within their experience, absolutely. And that story has to be written by somebody who has that experience. Yep. Because that is a difference. So it is not that you throw up your hands and say, I will only write stories from my perspective. It's that if you're going to write other characters with different backgrounds from yours, and yes, we're talking about all backgrounds. We do tend to talk about race and gender and, the, and like the big You know, the big places where we've talked about this, but there's so many there's able is there's so many Mm -hmm. ways that you can experience someone's humanity Um, and without making them like that's the big thing, too, is that they're all people first. Everybody's a human first. Start there. you know don't think about it like i'm writing a a woman character i'm writing a black character i'm writing a jehovah's witness character i'm writing you know like a a character in a wheelchair and that that thing that one thing defines everything about them Mm -hmm. you know all of these archetype work all of the work with the good tropes that we've been talking about you do that with all of these characters you see their humanity and and them being from one of these particular groups is going to affect the way that they see the world is going to affect the way they interact with the world but it is in no way going to change their humanity at the core of who they are and that I think is one of the biggest things so it's it's you know it's challenging mm-hmm. it's going to challenge a lot of things it challenges the world that you thought existed especially for people the more privilege you have the more you thought the world was like okay like people are getting treated differently like I didn't know this like I mean honestly you know like some of the some of the things that I've said where I was like no way oh my god you get pulled over by the cops more than what I do like that kind of thing was just beyond my comprehension because it wasn't part of my experience. Yeah, you know. Well, and, and you even, gotta get past that. Even mm-hmm.
0: within, you know, think about your own experiences where you've been challenged too. Like I, I had to spend a few weeks in a wheelchair, a few years ago after surgery, and I mean that in and of itself was yeah difficult, you know, and painful. Mm-hmm. But what I noticed more than anything was the difference in how people responded to me. When I was out in a wheelchair, like it was shocking, shocking. And it opened my eyes to so many things that I had no Mm -hmm. way of appreciating before. Right, And so like, Mm -hmm. I think even if you're not specifically trying to write a specific quote unquote type of character, Mm -hmm. that intentional diversity and inclusion in your own reading is Mm -hmm. essential. Like if period, if you want to write that you,
1: it just must be done. You have to do it. Yeah. You have to do it. And you need to, um, to go into it with best intent and setting your own fragility aside, I think, is a big problem. Yeah. You go into it
0: wanting to learn. Yeah. Genuinely wanting to learn and appreciate someone else's
1: experience, which is going mm-hmm.
0: to make your own characters. More,
1: it's going to make all your characters better. It's yeah. going to make all your characters better. It's just going to make you a better writer. It's going to make you a better human. Like yeah. you know, these are all. There's nothing but upside yeah. from reading, reading diverse, diversely, and experiencing the world as diversely as you can with Absolutely. as much inclusion, yep. yeah, as possible. Yeah. So yeah, and that's a really good point too about the difference between diversity and inclusion. We tend to kind of lump it all together, um, but diversity is that we make a movie that's got girls in it and it's got you know people, it's got Asian people and it's got Black people and it's got all these characters and everything right um, and inclusion is we have people above the line who are making the creative decisions yes who are from all of these groups exactly. you know um, yeah so diversity itself is something that can it, that can appreciate a well-earned side eye right mm-hmm. uh, we're really talking about um, about inclusion and about trying to understand people as humans because that's everybody, that's what everybody has in common. Yeah, absolutely. You know?
0: and even going back to what we were talking about with personality typing your yeah. characters, right? If you're an extrovert, and your character's an introvert, you've got a lot to learn. So yeah, I, you do, you know, yeah, I think it do. ties in into everything.
1: And you don't want to write people that are just like you.
0: No, it's absolutely boring. not. It's boring. Yeah. So let's talk about strategies for creating those people um strategies for character creation what ideas have you got uh for me about creating characters
1: well we've talked about this a little bit about the idea of using a placeholder using Mm -hmm. a real person or you know stealing a character from somebody else and you know scratching off the serial numbers and and reimagining it in your story taking inspiration from from existing people and existing characters, um, it's a great idea, yeah. um, because people that already are human to you, you're you're going to be starting ahead of that game where you're trying to figure out how, what is the humanity of your of your characters? You know, what is it that you're you're digging into with them as people? You know, um, so taking people that you know, characters that you know, that you already see you know, the full expanse of who they are as people and putting them into your stories. Not to mention the fact that when you're really mad at somebody, somebody's truly terrible, you can kill them in your book and ain't nobody deal for you. <laughs> I killed my one of my friends, the first book I ever wrote. Um, I had a friend whose husband was uh, violently abusive to her. And I put him in the... I renamed him, but everything else was the same. And I put him in the book and I killed him. And It was great. <laughs> It was wonderful. I loved it. So uh so yeah, that's also something that you can do uh with real people. Not that not that every character you put in your book should be an opportunity for vengeance, but every now and then it was <laughs> really nice. Special
0: message yeah, yeah. from our lawyers at Wolfram and Hart. Chipperish Media does exactly. not endorse murder in any way, <laughs> shape, or form, except no.
1: in a fictional space. Except in a fictional environment. You can murder <laughs> everybody you want in a fictional environment. You can just murder them. Um, and that can be really, really fun. So having placeholders uh, that come from uh, real people and uh, fictional fictional characters are real people to you. Uh, it, nobody who's read Harry Potter can tell me that that Hermione is not real, is not a real human to them, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spike on Buffy is real to me, you know. Um, so those those characters that you love, you know, bring them in and, and have some fun with them. And taking inspiration, again, that is not plagiarizing. <laughs> taking inspiration from an existing character, they will become your own in time. Um, so that's really great. And it's also really nice to have those placeholders for uh, during the uh, discovery part of writing which is something that we're going to talk about when we get to the magic um, in, in season four of How Story Works Conversations. could be a little while. We'll get there. It's really <laughs> great. Uh, but but doing collages, taking pictures of those characters and putting them in a little collage using a scrapbook or something, um, that can be really inspiring. It's it's incredibly powerful. I always hate doing it. I always thought, oh, God, that's stupid. It's not going to work for me. And because I resist it so much, it actually is the most powerful thing that I do in Discovery. <laughs> I hate doing it. Uh, but it's so incredibly valuable.
0: So I have this friend who's a writer. Mm-hmm. And she has this quirk of killing people from real life that she doesn't like in her books. <laughs> so (laughs) I love it like the more I get to know you I'm like this is so uniquely Lonnie like there's just some (laughs) specific things about you that I think of but I don't actually think of them as quirks like they just become Uh unique things about Lonnie um, yeah. So how does that translate? Like, I think we tend to call those quirks, those like uniquely action behavior, yeah. personality aspects of characters. So yeah. really, what is a quirk and how, how do we think about it? How do we use it to make characters distinctive?
1: We talk about quirks a lot because quirks are kind of like the, you know, the thing about a character that makes them unique, right? That makes them stand out, you mm-hmm. know? Like, if you think about, like, Dwight Schrute from The Office, you know? Um, how he uh, loves bears, loves beats, loves Battlestar Galactica. Like, these are all these, like, weird little things that we uh, that okay. we
0: give him. He, I don't know this show. It Does... It does... Do the things he love have to start with the letter B? Because that would be fascinating.
1: They don't. That was okay. just a wonderful uh, side effect over the years. Um, okay. okay, wait, and I have to. I have to take a step. You have not seen The Office. I've never seen a single. You have not either. seen The Office. I feel like we've had this conversation before because no. I talk about The Office a lot. Um, yeah, no, you got to watch The Office. The Office is, as a matter of fact, if you are looking for quirky. Uh, the office is a place to go to think about character quirks. Like, you know, just these these things that that we assign to these characters, these, uh, you know, uh, characteristics or obsessions or whatever that we assign to these characters. A lot of times, like, quirks are a double-edged sword in that way. Um, they can lend a sense of individuality to a character. At the same time, if you just throw a quirk in, you know, <laughs> Like, it's just, it's weird. Like, it can it can feel very flat. It's fun to give characters some kind of wild quirk, but if it's not connected with who they are as a human, right? If it's something we see from the outside rather than experience from the inside, mm-hmm. it can be both hollow and mocking. And, and Dwight Schrute is one of my favorite characters, but we do, especially in the beginning... We use these quirks to diminish his humanity and to mock him and to make fun of him. And actually, the characters that I love, like I love Jim in The Office. Um, And this is not going to mean anything to you, Kelly, because you haven't seen it. But people listening, they'll they'll get what I'm talking about. Uh, Jim is terrible. Jim is a bully. Like he's constantly mocking Dwight. He's constantly playing pranks on Dwight because Dwight annoys him because of these quirks. Right. Um, And I'm not going to say that Dwight is always a delightful character. He's not. You know, I mean, he's he's mean sometimes, too. And he does like cruel things sometimes, you know. But with Dwight, we saw him in the beginning, especially from ex- externally. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw him as a guy who was just so annoying and so mean um, and, and really mean to people like always talking about like, you know, which people he would have fired from the I mean, he's mean, you know, <laughs> like you get it right. Um, but he's but there is a tender soul to him that we get to know through time and those quirks end up speaking to that tenderness within him um but in the beginning they are flat little quirks that we give him so that we can be the bullies who make fun of him, mm-hmm. and that's what Jim is. I love Jim. I love John Krasinski, very funny. I I based it. I used him as a placeholder for one of the characters in one of my books, as I loved him, you know. But now that I watch it over, like I see how, like intentionally cruel he is. He's a bully. He's mean. And that's something that, because we put these quirks on Dwight, we feel like somehow, because he loves Battlestar Galactica, because he's a geek, because he'll talk about um you know about lord of the rings and whatever that somehow that gives us the right to pick on him Mm -hmm. you know rather than seeing those uh, that love and that passion from within him like the passion for those things and yes he's a bad guy a lot of the time you know but that's not what we make fun of like we make fun of the these characteristics that that he's been given so if we see a character from the outside in Mm -hmm. and we give them these quirks because oh isn't it funny we're missing opportunity to see that character as a human. We're not going to write that character in a way that is engaging and interesting. It's going to be really, really flat. Um, so, like a nerdy character loves comic books and superheroes. The Big Bang Theory is predicated on this whole thing. Let's just make fun of these nerds, you mm-hmm. know. So we've got these, you know, they talk about Superman all the time and isn't it funny and stupid how they talk about Superman and they never get women and they never get sex because they're nerds and we laugh at them, you know, and I just find it to be really kind of flat. But if you have somebody who deeply feels what superheroes represent, the responsibility in all of us to do our best for others. that With great power comes great responsibility. That can be a really cool thing to have in a character to make us see them as more human. So in general, like as a general rule, I would say... Don't use quirks to make fun of your characters. Mm-hmm. Don't use them to make them the the punchline in something. You know, even your antagonists, even your villains, like love them all and see them through their eyes and treat them and the things that they love and the, the quirky ways that they exist in the world with an understanding of who they are. Like especially your villains, like your villains, your bad guys, your antagonists, to have a sense of, of appreciation and understanding for an antagonist creates within your reader an internal conflict that they are going to feel deeply within themselves. I know this is a bad guy, mm-hmm. but I kind of love Spike, right? I know he's bad. I know he's bad. Oh, I love him so much. Let's see. You know?
0: What do I love? Yeah. Spike, Loki, <laughs>
1: Dark Wesley, Fate. Mm. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh yeah Yeah, that's (laughs) those are characters who are written from a place of understanding and love even when they're wrong and they're doing wrong 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 things like um i had a book that i wrote called wish you were here and Mm -hmm. the antagonist in it was this guy who was just this like loser drunken you know never did anything in his life that was worth anything and finally got a hold of something valuable that he could use as You know, as an exploit of my uh, my heroine's father, you know, um, and basically um, used it to blackmail him. Right. And because this character had always been, you know, this big loser that never got anything right was always really super drunk. He was dry, like he was sober during this book. And he was like, these people are gonna take me seriously. And we have one scene where he's not taken seriously. We have another scene where he's not taken seriously. We have another scene where he's not taken seriously and dismissed by my protagonists, by my heroes um, who weren't taking him seriously. And because they wouldn't take him seriously, he got more and more and more dangerous until in the end, like, he was really doing bad shit. He got drunk mm-hmm. was really, you know, doing some bad stuff. And throughout the whole thing, like, he was bad. He was a bad guy from beginning to end. But I felt for him. Like, I, I felt bad for him in a lot of ways. And I saw this world through his eyes, even though he was wrong, even though he had to be taken down at the end, you know, as that was the right emotional justice for this story. You know, I had some sympathy for him and I kind of liked that it was my protagonists who were dismissing this guy and not listening to him and not giving him any attention, Mm -hmm. you know, or any respect at all. That actually they made their own situation a lot worse by doing that rather than understanding him. So that was kind of it was one of the most fun uh antagonist that i've written and he's not a sympathetic antagonist i mean he's a classic villain antagonist like he's a bad guy from beginning to end like no question you know um but i kind of loved him oh i think
0: that's great and i I just i love the i mean shippers has always been love what you love but this idea Mm -hmm. of love all your characters respect them treat them as human love all the people like you can Mm -hmm. still present them as villains you know as evil you can still be honest who they are. Yeah, but as know, fully, yeah. fully human, um, I just mm-hmm. think is, is fantastic. And yeah. I don't have your experience creating characters, but I have been mm-hmm. playing with something that's helping me um, as I'm working on this in my writing. Yeah, Which I think is really cool because the the more, like one of the things this podcast is really helping me do is figure out my process. Mm-hmm. And understanding yeah. the things I can bring in from my own, you know, mm-hmm. passions, interests, quirks, whatever, um, yeah. that are actually working in in new oh, and wonderful. different ways for my creativity, mm-hmm. which is great. And one of those is the tarot. Yeah. So, um, and I, I was thinking about this and I'm like, when I was first introduced to this idea, it instantly clicked to use mm-hmm. tarot as a, as a writing tool. I love and it. And then I realized why. Because yeah. I, um, I do really, really well given creative delimitations. And yes. so I did want to like very briefly talk about the difference between a delimitation and a limitation. Um, mm-hmm. And this is a research term, but I'll try to make it not incredibly Oh my God, I boring. love it. I love it. <laughs> so when you're conducting a study, like you're going to put uh-huh. together a research study, you you have the whole wide world in front of you right? Uh You cannot interview every single person. It is not possible. You can't study every single topic. It is not possible. So Mm -hmm. limitations are the things you can't control. A budget is a limitation. Mm -hmm. Geographical limitations are real limitations, right? Mm -hmm. So the things over which you have no control are limitations. But Mm -hmm. delimitations are limits you impose intentionally, In order to focus. So if I say I want to study writers, then I need some delimitations there because the topic is just too broad. Right. So when I did my dissertation, one of my delimitations was I was going to talk to people who had uh, done NaNoWriMo. Mm -hmm. They had to have completed it within the last five years. They had Mm -hmm. to hit the 50,000 word mark. And they had to be eighteen or over because the research guidelines for younger people are very complicated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I took a mm-hmm. lot of heat from young writers on Twitter for that and I was really proud Aww. of them because they were like, Why are you leaving us out? And I'm like, Because the IRB won't let me talk to you. Oh So yeah. that's the institutional review board, basically the ethics mm-hmm. for research. Um yeah. but but the the more and more and more delimitations I put in that work the more clearly I was able to focus. And so I, love it. I struggle with writer's block a lot um, mm. and a, a blank page will make me freeze. But yeah. if you said to me, write a short story that has 26 sentences, the first sentence starts with a, the second sentence starts with B, the third sentence starts with C. <laughs> I can do oh, yeah. that, you know? Yeah. Write yeah. write A scene that uses these 10 words. I can mm-hmm. do that. So, like those creative yep. delimitations help me more than anything. Oh yeah. And so, a tarot deck, if you're using it as a writing tool, is this great delimited source of inspiration because I there love it. there are only 78 cards. Like that's it. You've mm-hmm. got 78 options, um, mm-hmm. and so 22 are major arcana, which are archetypes.
1: Absolutely our archetypes, right? yes. And then mm-hmm. you have
0: the minor arcana. Those are 42 cards that are numbered. And then 14 mm-hmm. court cards. And the minor mm-hmm. and the court cards are in four suites. Usually mm-hmm. wands, cups, swords, and pinnacles. But there's tons and tons and tons of variations. And so, Yeah, and
1: our modern uh, playing deck comes from tarot. No, the other way around. Doesn't it? Oh, yeah. really? Yes. Tarot comes from the modern playing deck. How interesting. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And so the... the What's really
0: cool about this is you can just pull one card and look for visual inspiration. Like, Mm -hmm. what do I want this character to look like? Or something. Um, You can get ideas for your character triangle, for their backstory, for their past life, if they Mm -hmm. were reincarnated from history. Like, you can use that for so many things. You can ask the tarot, what Uh is my character's vulnerability? And pull cards until something speaks to you. Um, and so, and then I was thinking, well, if I pulled out all my major arcana and just picked two and one would be my Mm -hmm. protagonist and one would be my antagonist, there would literally be enough there to write a novel. Yeah. So it's, it's such a fun tool and, and kind of a different way to approach a story. Um, and there are two Mm -hmm. books that I really wanted to recommend. The first is Tarot Inspired Life by Jamie Elford. Mm And she has advice in there of, like, how to just pick a card and build a character Mm -hmm. from it. And she also recommends a four-card spread. So you would pull four cards, and from one of them, you would take visual traits, and then Mm -hmm. main strength, main flaw, and primary motivation. Oh, I love it. And you've got a ton to work with. Um, Oh, yeah. But the other book, and this book has lit me on fire in terms Mm -hmm. of creative thinking and there's so much in this book that is just completely parallel with how story works Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but it's called the creative tarot by jessa crispin and it is Mm -hmm. tarot for writers like it is tarot for storytelling I love it. So if you have any interest, you know, in trying tarot as a writing tool, I highly, highly, highly recommend those books. Let's
1: put these links in the show notes, too. Yeah, okay. So that we've got them for people to to go ahead and get those, because that sounds fantastic. I love yeah. it. I've been having a lot of fun with
0: it. Um, so, like, mm-hmm. I pulled one for just for this conversation. Like, all right, because I've got a deck sitting right here beside me um, mm-hmm. from the Tarot Muhai, And I just pulled, because it's one of my favorite decks, I just pulled a card. Mm-hmm. And I got the strength card. And that is like a beautiful young girl cuddled up to a lion. Mm -hmm. And the card, there's a lot of gold and orange and deep red in that card. And she's not scared of the lion. She's, you know, Mm -hmm. hugging him and and leaning on him. And if I was going to pull this, you know, for inspiration, I was like, well, I could write a Beauty and the Beast idea from this.
1: Oh, sure. With Mm -hmm. the
0: idea of strength and trust Being Mm -hmm. more predominant than the typical Beauty and Beast idea. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and maybe flip those two characters around in some way. But it's, I don't know, it's just, I'm having a lot of fun with it. So I wanted
1: to share. I love it. I love all of that. And that is absolutely, and guys, anything, you know, and I've always said anything that's got a limited number. Like you can use to kind of like you can use the 12 months of the year. You can mm-hmm. use the 24 hours in the day as as some kind of framework for like building parts of your story. Um, there, and that I love I hadn't I hadn't heard the distinction between limitation and delimitation. I absolutely love that. I think that is incredibly valuable um, because that's one of the things like writing prompts. You know, mm-hmm. if somebody told me what to write, if somebody gave me an opening sentence, I could run. Like I'll just take that and run. Um, But when you've got the whole world open to you, it makes it really hard to like choose something, you yeah. know, to figure something when the choice when some choices are made for you and you need to work within that. Um, that's really like the pulling of two genres. You know, you're talking about that author before, right? Um, the, to pull two genres and then put them together. Um, that's really, really fun. Yeah. Uh, so absolutely like tarot, astrology, like there's so many places that you can go where you've got a you've got a limited number of, of choices and things to work with and use those to bring in some inspiration to get you started uh that's fantastic I love it
0: yeah so this has been so much fun so when I was thinking about you know asking you okay how Mm -hmm. do I make a character distinctive I think what I meant was making a character memorable um -hmm. lovable or love to hateable yes you know Mm -hmm. um so just kind of to summarize or in closing give me your high level
1: advice I mean, honestly, at the heart of it, we've talked about this a little bit. You have to love these characters. As a writer, you have to love them. You have to see them as people. And when you love them and sympathize with them, you will write them better. You will have more fun writing them, and they will just come to life on the page. Even the bad guys. Give your villains lovable characteristics Always do that. There's no reason not to. It's so fun. I mean, yes, your antagonist has one job to block the protagonist. Do you need to make them lovable and sympathetic? No, you do not. For your narrative to work? No, you do not. But good God. Why not have some fun? Give your heroes hateable characteristics. Give them a place to arc from and a place to arc to Um, put dimension into each character. See the world through their eyes and through their experience. Sympathize with them. Know their vulnerabilities, understand their vulnerabilities um, and feel those vulnerabilities when you're writing them. They can be funny, but don't ever laugh at them. Mm -hmm. Laugh with them, you know, Um, don't demean and mock your characters, love all of them, even in their fallibility. The key to your characters is how much you are able to love them.
0: Oh, this just hits my heart in all the right places. I love this so much. This conversation has been so much fun. And now, and now Uh it is my absolute pleasure and delight, (laughs) delight, absolute delight to announce the fact that
1: Lonnie Diane Rich wrote this week's homework. I hate homework. Like, I know it's a great thing. I know it's a great thing. I know it's valuable, but I'm always the worst. Like, what am I going to, I don't know. What do I, what do I want these people to do? I don't know. Um, so, you know, it is, it is one of my weaknesses that I can work with, you know. Um, so I, I came up with a writing exercise for anybody who wants to do it. And um, and this is what I think you should do. Take a beloved character from a book, a TV show, movie, whatever, file off the serial numbers, rename them, put them in an entirely different setting, and write just one quick scene with them. Like, what happens when you take Kate from Taming of the Shrew and put her in a sci-fi setting? You know, what happens when Christina Yang from Grey's Anatomy is the protagonist in an Edgar Allan Poe-style story? Um, what happens when you take Tyrion Lannister and put him in Cinderella? Like, Tyrion as a conniving charming sexy and up to no good prince charming or even better as the gender flipped cinderella character who triumphs in the end yes i am here for that yes yes right (laughs) right (laughs) yes oh my god i would love that so have some fun and just like with a no pressure you're not necessarily going to do anything with it just a fun little exercise a character that you love take them put them in a different context and see what happens to that character when you write them you'll see that they're going to change in ways that are really interesting (laughs) okay josh unruh if you're listening and i know you
0: are (laughs) i want loki as kindergarten cop
1: all right (laughs) (laughs) he'll do it for you too you know he will oh my
0: god that would be so funny
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that would be really great (laughs)
0: Well, you know, basically our whole conversation today came down to love, which just tickles me to no end. Um, Mm -hmm. So on our closing, Love What You Love, what story are you loving right now?
1: I have been rereading some Jocelyn Jackson, um, mm-hmm. who I absolutely adore. And I will let you know that before I knew her personally and found out how adorable she was as a person, I loved her writing first. Yeah, <laughs> It started with Gods in Alabama way back in the day. Um, and I absolutely love that book. And I'm reading it again now, you know, some, I don't know, 15 years later. And it is still so freaking good I mean there's some good stuff in that uh, in that book that I'm really enjoying so yeah so Jocelyn is is kind of adorable and just amazing her prose uh, her character work is just so good
0: oh it's so good she's one of my absolute favorites and Mm -hmm. I love her audiobooks because she narrates them herself and her voice and she's an actress she's amazing yes it's so Mm -hmm. good so you rereading her had inspired me to reread her Mm-hmm. Um and so I was gonna second this. Uh, I was reading Backseat Saints.
1: And oh, I read that like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. And um, <laughs> this one has this very strong tarot theme in it, and it mm-hmm. just I loved that so much. And then I was like, you know, we had talked before about genre and tropes and things. And I want a whole bunch of tarot-infused novels. I'm like, how do I search for that? Like, how do I find that in my story? Well, here's
1: the thing. Here's the key, too. And this is one of the things that, you know, I'll say again, I'm sure, at some point. This is really a big deal and probably should be in a big part of a story. But if there's anything that you want that doesn't exist, you need to write it. And when you do, the people who want that same thing, whether or not they know right now that that's what they want, um, are going to really enjoy it. So I say, if you can't find it, write it. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. Uh,
0: How Story Works. There we go. Write the damn thing. (laughs) You want to read the damn thing? Write the damn thing. Write the damn thing. Or get Joshua
1: Unruh to write it for you. You know, one way (laughs) or the other.
0: Well, that's my problem. I'm like, so many of the people I love are talented writers. And I'm like, Lonnie, will you write this for me, Josh? Will, will you just you... write this for I me? I want to read this. Will you write it, please?
1: <laughs> <laughs> to join in the discussion on Twitter, follow me at Lonnie Rich and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag HowStoryWorks. How Story Works and everything Chipperish Media produces is made free and ad-free by the generous patrons who support us to the tune of $1 a month or more and make it possible for us to turn Tyrion Lannister into a Disney princess. Yes! (laughs) Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more.
0: This episode of How Story Works was brought to you by the Chipperish Media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why How Story Works is coming to you free and ad-free right now, so thank you to our April Producers. And this week's special message for our power producers, writing is an art that loves humanity. Visit patreon.com chipperish to find out how you too can become a How Story Works producer.
1: Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or never diminish anyone's humanity. We will be back next time with
0: characters in action. Until then, the key to your characters is how much you love them. Mm.